Okay, this is Stu. We're having a back in the day with Chris Tran, and we're sitting in Binhua. Yes. In Saigon. Um, Chris left Saigon on April 1975, the last day of the war. The last day of the war. Yes, April. And how did you? How did how did you actually leave? Um, I was in the service for four years, yep. and then uh, I came back home the 26th of April. You know, in Saigon, my house used to be. Yep. Then uh, the 30th of April, uh, my brother and I we went with uh, the uh, the owner of the company where my father worked for. Uh, he owns a company with a bunch of ships that transport oil and uh, rice to. Uh, Uh, other countries. Okay. So that's how we left. We left with him uh, from Ceylon. So on 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 like a cargo ship. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And was that something that you kind of had to do in secret to be able to? to Not to that day. Or? That day, just everyone, you know, is on their own. You know, some people just went on to Ceylon River and tried to, you know, escape the country. Yeah. You know, like like when I went. Uh, we didn't. My brother and I, we didn't even know where we were heading to. Okay. You know, we ended up in Philippines, Subic Bay, but uh, that was like quite a trip. <laughs> so you were serving. You served for four years with the South Vietnamese. South Vietnamese uh, in the uh, as a ranger. Okay. The unit. Yeah. And that's like an elite force, is it? The the Rangers. Uh, kind of. Okay. You know, but uh, yeah, most of the four years, I just lived in the jungle. You know. Okay. You know, never seen the city or the uh, population. You know, nobody. So, so, did you did you work along? Like, did you work alongside Americans and Australians? Uh, the other. No, um, um, when I went in the service back in uh, beginning of 1971, you know, almost the American people almost you know went back home. Okay. So we kind of just took over the places that they were stationed at. You know. Okay. Near the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And that's where I was in the uh, region two, Pleiku, Kumtum, which is those cities. Okay, and was there was there a lot of tension amongst the Vietnamese people with regards to whether or not you sort of had support for the Americans or or you had support for the um, Viet Viet Cong? Well, you know, uh, at the time we were, you know, kind of, you know, we were number one. We had to. Be in the service. Yep. We had no choice. So it either, was compulsory. Yeah. Okay. Uh, either you go, you join the service, the army, or you go in jail. So okay. that's that's the two choices that you had. Okay. And so like with us, you know, soldier, we don't really, we didn't really care too much about the politics and the support the the American or not, you know, because we hardly heard of the news, you know, yeah. in the jungle. So we just kind of living by day. Okay. Not knowing what our future is going to be, so if if you can open your eyes the next morning, whew, that's another day you survive. Okay, and that that's how it was. Okay, that's really really uh, uh, I would say bad, but you know, strange. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, did you did you find yourself in any positions where you had close calls? Like, whoa, lucky to have survived that. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, just before the end of the war, right? Uh, which like the end of March '75, we were stationed at uh, Quang Duc, which is the city now. They they changed it to Dak Lak, okay. the name the the city. And then you know we got 
the order, you know, leave the city, you know, and go closer, move closer to Saigon. Okay. So we left. We went in the, the woods, right? So with us was just, you know, four days of uh, uh, dry food, you know, supply. Yep. And then the map was just in that area where we we're going to have to okay. go to. And then by the time we get close to Blau, which is Bao Lok in Vietnamese, yep. you know, we heard on the radio that it was taken over by the, the communists. Okay. And so we didn't know where else to go. You know, so we were just kind of walking around in the woods, in the jungle. You know, so like we had four, four days of supply. Okay. And so, you know, we walked in the woods for 18 days, you know. So we ate leaves. Wow. For 11 days to okay. survive. So that was quite a quite a trip that I remember the rest of my life. You know? I, I guess there was no shortage. Like, the, the, other, the other week I was walking around and I was carrying a bottle of water. I drank it. Within probably a couple of hours, I was so close to heat exhaustion. I thought to myself, wow, how would those soldiers... It must have been such a burden having to carry so much water. But I guess the rain sort of constantly supplied you with water, so that was never a problem. Was that ever a problem? Yeah, there, there was, you know, because Vietnam has two seasons: the dry season and, and the wet, wet season. Yep. And March, April is the, still the dry season. Okay. Rain doesn't start yet. And so while on our way, you know, if you see the part of water, even if the dead rat in there, you still have to scoop it up. Drop in a pill, yeah, and like, drink it, okay. you know. Wow. So that's that's how it was. Wow. So I, I mean, I first, I first, um, I first discovered Chris on YouTube. Chris's got a YouTube channel, uh, Chris Tran. Check it out. Uh, he 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 makes he re, he cleans up old recordings of um, Vietnamese music, rock and well. What I found was a title called uh, Vietnamese Rock and Soul 68 to 72. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Particularly, we've been discussing a band that was the the number one track on the. uh, Is it a compilation? Is it an album? Is that an album that was available on vinyl back back then? No, no, no. No, no. okay. So the picture that you put up, what is that picture from? Which is from the person who collects those songs and put it together. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. that was just on one of the albums back then. Ah, okay. One of the singers. Yeah. So, it, is that the singer of the the, the 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 first band? The first track is the CBC band. Mm-hmm. Is that the singer of the CBC band? No. Okay. No, no, okay. No. Okay. But she was well known also. Okay. What was what was her name? Tai Hien. I mean, Tai Hien. Okay. Yeah. Wow. All right. Um, what? What inspired you to do that, like, to put... Because uh, I, I grew up with that kind of music, okay. you know. Uh, 15, 16 years old, you know, I already, you know, listened to those songs, those bands. Yep. And then I end up, you know, running away from home and live with CBC for like a few months until my parents found me oh. and took me home. I was good. <laughs> You're a bit of a wild child. Yeah, yeah. So, and that, at the time, the CBC band was playing in Longbin, which is all the uh, American clubs, you know. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's that's uh, how I met them and I lived with them for a few months. Okay, and um, so did you kind of help them out? Like, say if they were playing, were you, well, what do you call a roadie sort of thing? Like, did you help them yeah, move yeah, their I, stuff? Yeah, I was, you know, with them just to uh, join them, just to learn how to play, right? Uh, okay. And then, so I just carried the equipment, you know. That's it, yeah. So when you were in the service, did you, like, did you have the, op- did you get 
opportunities to go and see them play, like when they were playing with the for the Americans? Or oh no, the, no, no, no. Okay. After I joined the service, like I said, most of them, I got to visit my family three times okay. during those four years. So what I heard was from tape that you know my family sent it to me, you know, and that's it. How they play. So that's why, like uh, in 1971. There's a really great concert at uh, the soccer stadium, Walu. It's just like, you know, Woodstock of Vietnam. Okay. You, you must have heard of that. Uh, like I've many heard of Woodstock? Woodstock, but yeah, also yeah. the one in Vietnam. Uh, I saw the one that they did at the zoo. There was like some festival at a rock festival. Yeah, at near the zoo. zoo. The, the soccer stadium is near the zoo. Oh, okay. So we're talk yeah. probably yeah. talking about it was the same like one. more 100 bands, more than 100 bands playing. And I missed that too because I. I wasn't you're, able to, you know. You were in the jungle yeah. somewhere. Oh yes, yes. Wow. So back in those like war days, did did you guys in the South Vietnamese army kind of do it much harder than than the Yanks and and the Australians? Like the obviously the oh yeah the Yanks and the Aussies they were getting R and R leaves in various oh, yes. places we, like we, every we, now and then. Really, really. But you, you know, guys. Oh yeah, much worse. Yeah. You know, but, oh, we didn't have enough food to eat. And not enough uh, bullets to fight, yeah. you know. Like when the end of the war, when we left you know, Guangdong, you know, we had with us was sixty bullets. Um, so we're using M sixteen, you know. You press the trigger, that's it. Thirty bullets is gone. Yeah, yeah. And then two grenades. That's all we had. Okay. So how could you fight a war like that? You and know? the north, the North Vietnamese were were heavily armed, or were they sort of suffering in the same way of? Shortages uh, of food and shortages of ammunition. Tell you the truth, I myself I don't know. Okay. You know, maybe you know the upper rank. You know, they know about it, but we don't know. Yeah. You know, well, we were just in the situations where if you don't shoot them, they shoot you. Yeah. So it's like kind um, of you know we don't really care. You know, but most of the time you know we don't see anybody in the jungle. You know? Okay. We just station at one place near the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Just to guard, I don't know, guard what, you know, uh, monkeys maybe? <laughs> so we, we really couldn't understand, you know, at the time we were so young, I was so young that to get into politics and we just, just knew that we had to go, not... You didn't have a choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so just kind of, you know, <laughs> no gold in sight, you know. So, like, you didn't really have any contact with any of your people that you were fighting not against, but with. Like you didn't see the Yanks, you didn't see the Aussies in the jungle. You did. Did they help you out at all? By like, by seventy one, you know, most of the American people already came back home. Yeah, back right. To their country. Okay. So you know, you know, so the the Vietnamese army took over. You know, uh, everything. So. So in. So the, at the time, we just rely on the supplies from the Americans. Okay, so um, in in the years gone by, have you sort of. Have you met and become friends with anybody who who you fought against? Uh, not really. Okay. You know, uh, I I met people that you know from the north. You know, and we make friends. I myself don't even know if they were my enemy. If we fought against each other or not. You know, okay. and they could be fighting. You know, in a different area. Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, essentially, you have you have you have associates that are were technically in the past your enemy yes yes okay, well. last time we took a trip together oh wow you know, uh, a long trip to six days and there's one guy uh, he was with the north 
then. Okay. You know, he came from the north. He lived here now, but then we talk about you know the the old days. But yeah, it's so long now. There's no more you know hate against you know us. You know, it's just kind of you know we talk like normal, like friends. Uh, yeah. Look, I mean, when I first came, when I first came to Vietnam, I, I, to a degree, expected to feel like some Vietnamese people might resent me because I was Australian. Um, but I haven't, I've, I haven't experienced anything other than the complete opposite of that. Mm. People like people find out that you're Australian and and they 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 love like they love well, it know, like like almost everybody I've met has got a relative in Australia somewhere. Yeah, us, us Vietnamese, you know, people, we're pretty open, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, if uh, unless, you know, you you try to get a fight against me, yeah. you know, you're a friend. Yeah, yeah. Until something happens, right? <laughs> yeah. So we assume everyone is friends. Yeah, you okay. Know, until you give my, me a reason to fight you. <laughs> <laughs> then that's different. We fight to the death. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> Oh god! I, yeah, look. I mean, I've got to say, I could imagine. I could imagine, like, I could imagine being in an argument with Vietnamese with somebody Vietnamese. And I think it would be very intimidating. Just like when you first contact me, right? Already, I said, "Well, I don't care if you, you know, interview me or not. I make a friend. That's good. Yeah. You know, I make a new friend, and that's what I told you, right? Yeah, Remember? yeah. No, uh, look. So, I'm... so to me, that that's more important than you know. Um, Anything else, pretty much. <laughs> have a new friend sitting together, having a coffee. Hey, man, life is great, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. So after you left, after you left Saigon, and you were on the cargo ship, and you went to the Philippines, you ended up in Subic Bay, Subic Philippines. Bay. Yeah. Okay. And how long did it take you to then? Like, obviously, you put in a, a refugee claim for or an asylum claim to go to America. No, at the time, right. Uh, the American people already have a few refugee camps around, okay. and one of it is in Subic Bay, Philippines. Okay. Yes, at the military station. You know, the, the American GI was there. Yep. So they already have a camp set up, and so we went in there, and at the time, in 75, everyone that escaped the country that got onto the uh, American uh, refugee camp get to go to the United States. Okay. So by by July 75, they flew me to uh, uh, Pennsylvania, okay. Indian Town Gap. Okay. And I stayed there until I got some family sponsored me. Okay, yeah. and that must have been a strange feeling, stepping off that plane. Oh, yes. Well, uh, from Subic Bay, right, after a month or so, month and a half, they flew us to Guam. Okay. And Guam yep. belongs to the American. Yep. Right? And then we stayed into july of 75 and uh, it was strange but i was lucky um i went to a friend's school from kindergarten all the way up to finishing high school a french school a French school oh, in okay. vietnam yeah, yeah okay in, yeah. Uh, yep. district one it used uh, to call john jacques now it's uh, a vietnamese name lake widow you know okay. near the um uh, Near, uh, I don't know what to call it now. The, um, mm, I just couldn't think of the term, but anyway. Okay. Anyway, and then so when I was in Pennsylvania in the camp, a lot of uh, um, a lot of students, you know, American students, they volunteer to come in the camp and help us 
understand okay. the culture, you know, the, the language and everything. So uh, one of the, the uh, students gave me, uh, she heard that uh, I knew French. So she gave me a dictionary, French, English, English and French. Okay. And in 75, back then, they didn't have uh, Vietnamese English okay. dictionary in, ah. in the States. Okay. So that's how I learned the English. You know, if I want to say something, right? I flip up the book and they translate it. Good thing. You know, it's pretty much they, they spell almost the same, just the pronunciation. So the process of, the process of, uh, of learning English for you, was it a process of, tra like, did you, need, did you need to translate that into French and then in your mind translate it into Vietnamese or, or when it was translated into French, you you could just understand it because I'm, I'm not multilingual. I can only really speak English. So I, I don't really have a proper understanding of how somebody who can speak multiple languages brain work. Like, are you constantly translating from one language to the other in your brain or are you understanding it in the language that you're hearing it in? Does, if that makes any sense. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. Uh, at first, right, when I got out of high school, Oh, well, French is natural to me because okay. after 12 years, you know, of learning French yep. and we weren't allowed to speak Vietnamese in the side of school. Oh, That's really? how it is. Okay. So we only have really like four hours of Vietnamese language okay. to study. So, but then I was in the service for four years. So yep. that kind of, you know, I lose because no practice. So, so when I went to America, I, uh, I ended up in Maine, which is great because the, the main people, most their ancestors coming from Canada, so they speak French. Ah, oh, of course, so okay. But then, by then, you know, I really had to think of French before I translated to American and tried to speak it. Okay. So it's kind of really hard for me at first. Yeah. But at least I could understand, you know, like reading, I can understand a little bit because the, pronoun the spelling is almost the same, okay. you know, between French and English. So, as you were growing up in, in, in Saigon, and, and Saigon being like a French colony, it, the teachers, like, you, you were forced to learn French at school, which, I mean, I guess in retrospect, you must be happy, like, you must be happy that you, you're able to be multilingual because, because of that sort of... No, not really forced to learn French. Okay. You know, there's Vietnamese school that you learn the foreign language for like a few hours a week. Yep. You know? But me, my, my parents put me in a French school. Okay. And strictly French. French teachers, French culture. So we learned the American, I mean French geography, um, history, everything in French. Okay. Except four hours a week learning Vietnamese mm -hmm. history and okay. Vietnamese geography. So that, that's how, you know, that's how I learned French. But uh, other people, they just learn Vietnamese. You know? Okay. So what was it like, like, how was life in in Vietnam under the under the rule of the French? Is that is that was like Vietnam Vietnam strictly kind of ruled by the French, or were you kind of ruled by yourself but considered a French colony? Were there lots of French people here um, back then? Not not that many, but you know we were ruled by the French way way back. Yeah. But by the time I grew up, I was born and grew up. Pretty much, we're on our own, you know. Yeah. Okay. But it, it's more influenced by the French custom. Yeah. You know? Okay. Everything, you know. Um, you can definitely see that now in lots of 
Yeah. I mean, bun me, even. Uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. French bread, you know, that's how, yeah. that's how it, it begins, you know. And uh, the Vietnamese people just took that and tried to, you know, yeah. come up with their own. Archi uh, ar like a lot of the architecture looks yeah. kind of yeah. very yeah. much. Not that I've ever been to Paris, I've seen pictures of yeah. Paris, but it looks like. Like the church in Saigon, right? Yeah, yeah, the Notre Dame. Yeah, Notre Dame, you know, yeah. that's built, you know, after the uh, the one in uh, Paris, yeah, the one that just burned recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh God, yeah. Yeah. I, I imagine that, and what a, what a... So like my parents, they all speak French. You know, wow. Yeah, back then, you know. Okay. Yeah, because we were influenced by the French. So did you speak French at home? Did no, you, no, okay. no. You Vietnamese. spoke Vietnamese but, at home. Uh, I learned French from school. And was there... Was there an like? Did you use French in your day to day life? In, no, in no, America? only in school. Okay, that we we weren't allowed to speak Vietnamese. Wow, you know that's that's because they want us to learn, which is yeah, great, yeah. you know, because if if you learn a language and all you talk about to your friends is Vietnamese and what good does it do? So was a, getting a French education perceived as being. Like more open-minded. Being okay, so being a superior education to what? Not, I wouldn't say superior. Okay, but you know, you 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 see things. You see, more, yeah, you get more of a wider. spread of things. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And you learn how to treat a woman better. Ah, okay. Yes, from the French. You know, you know. You have you heard the term galan, galan, no. like be nice to the, ah, okay. the woman. You know. Yeah, no. That's that's what I learned, mom. First. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so was was like uh, were the French schools back then? Were they like we were driving here and I asked you, oh, these you were showing me the large schools and I said, are, th are these private schools or government-run schools? The French schools back then were they government-run schools or were they like a private school? Uh, no, the one I went to is like private. You know? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So do you consider that um, like the the fact that you were able to go to a private school? Very fortunate. Like, do you consider yes, yourself fortunate? Yes, yeah. You know, I, I would consider my family back then is the kind of middle middle range, middle okay, middle class so type, medium. Thing. Yeah. Okay. So I was lucky to to have a French education. Okay. You know, and that that makes me you know see things a lot more you know uh, open. Than yeah. Okay. Others. Yeah. Um. I I watched a clip. I I think it was from the early 80s and there was an american journalist walking around saigon and um he's like you know look we look at these tape recorders here like as the vietnamese sort of went to different corners of the world like who, who were part of the south went to different corners of the world they would send stuff back to vietnam and they were talking this guy was like here's this cassette recorder it's ten thousand dong you know that's a whole year's wages for you for, yeah. for you and like this guy had sold a couple of pigs to be able to buy this tape recorder at, well I mean you probably don't know because you're in the states but at at what at what time what what happened to the Vietnamese dong that like I mean ten thousand dollars ten thousand dong now almost cannot buy you anything no, no. like at, like what what happened do you do you know what happened there like what what was there some sort of economic Thing that took place in in the world or in Vietnam that drastically devalued the the level of the dong uh, to get it to the point that now we're talking in terms of hundreds of thousands of dong to buy things as or, or you know even like something that would be the equivalent of the old day tape player. So you wanted to buy a, an MP3 player or an iPod, you'd be, you'd be looking at millions of dong now. Yeah. That seems like a massive increase in 
in cost. Right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Tell you the truth, I really don't know because I, I live. I, I went to the state when I yeah, was yeah. 22, turning 23, and now I'm 67. Yeah. So you okay. know, I don't really know, but you know, um, it just depreciates so fast. Yeah. You know, like. Uh, like I told you, 15 years ago, I was here in Benoit yep. and $100 uh, exchanged it to one and a half million dong. Right? Uh-huh. Nowadays, yep. it's two million and three hundred thousand. So yeah, almost yeah. a million more yeah, yeah. that I could get from a hundred dollars. Look, so, the, Australian, the Australian currency is just fluctuates so badly. I, I'm getting probably a third less yeah. the amount of dong this trip than what I did two years ago. So, like, so I don't really know what drives that. Yeah, you know? it's one of those things that normal people but, don't have any control yeah, over. We plus, just set the slave, we're a slave yeah. to it. <laughs> plus at my age right now, you know, if I can enjoy my life, you know, every day, that's it. That's enough for me. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. No, you know, I don't care about <laughs> what's going on in the world. You know, that's how yeah. I am now. <laughs> As long as what's what's going on in your life around you, yeah, is yeah, good, because what... I went through so much, you know. Yeah, yeah. Now that you know, if I can just take a ride on my motorcycle or around the countryside, I'm happy. You know, yeah. I have a good friend. You know, I live my life now yeah. <laughs> to the fullest. Yeah. Chris just took me out for one of the nicest steaks that I've ever had, and it came from Australia originally. Yeah, Australian booty. <laughs> yeah, it was extremely nice. It was still sizzling on the plate when it arrived, um, <laughs> but yeah. It's, look, look. How long have I been? How long have I been going for? Let's just have a look. Um, we've nearly been going for half an hour. Look, uh, you've you've got some kids. You had some kids with with an American lady. How, how many kids have you got? Yeah, three three daughters. Three daughters. No, I I came to uh, uh, the state in Maine, right? This is the state of Maine in seventy five. Yep. By 1977, I had my first daughter. You know, <laughs> by the time we got married, my ex-wife was uh, four months pregnant, <laughs> uh, which was fairly unusual for those days. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like you know, so my oldest daughter now is almost 42. Wow. Uh, this August. So how many grandkids do you have? Uh, six. Wow. Yeah, and they, my my daughters uh, half and half, right? Half Vietnamese, half. Uh, uh, American. So my granddaughters are all maybe they have well not maybe they have one, only one quarter of Vietnamese blood in them. Yeah. Because the state of Maine, there's not too many Vietnamese people. Okay. So my daughters married, you know, American. So when you first when you first got to Maine, did you find like it must have been you must have like was it, hang on. So it was around did you say July August that you got July I got to Pennsylvania. Okay. By September. Uh, the begin well, actually, thirtieth of August, I got sponsored to Maine. Okay. So that's how, that's how I moved to Maine. That's when. So that temperature drop was kind of gradual. You were coming out of the the American summer into the winter. It wasn't like stepping off the airplane from the Philippines into like minus twenty degrees. Yeah, but like, still, Pennsylvania is still on the east coast. Yeah, it's not too far from Maine. So, so it was cold, you know, uh, by July, August. Uh, it's summertime, but still. And Maine winter really start, you know, like in the fall it's already cold. Was it? In, were you initially thinking, how am I gonna, how, how can I live here with it being so cold? Was it? Did you? Well, you just... not not just the weather, but you know, 
But for years, all I knew was, you know, using my fingers to trigger, pulling yeah. the trigger. No skill, no language, you know, not used to the weather. I'm going to die. You know, that's what I thought. So you are, so you are, uh, what, what, how, how old were you when you joined the service, sorry? Oh, uh, after 18, I turned 18 September, okay. uh, 70s, right? So the beginning of 71, that's it, I got Okay, so 18 was like the age that you had to join yeah. the military? Yeah, unless you continue your education, you know, go up oh, to high school. Okay, so you, you, finished, know, you finished school and, and then I, straight into school. Because the when I was 17, you know, I was so much into the music. Yeah. I didn't want to go to school, man. Same, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just want to be playing in the band, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, But at the time, you know, like uh, Beatles was well-known. CCR, oh, my favorite band. CCR? Credence. Oh, Credence, okay. <laughs> uh, Clearwater. Look, Credence are a band for me that um, I didn't, like, during the 70s, well, I mean, I was... I was born in 69, so I was quite young during the 70s, but there was always the music that I would hear on the radio in the car. Uh-huh. And it's only probably been in the, lat in the latter years of my life that... So do you know what the song Brown Mary meant? The meaning of the song? No, I don't. No? From what I was told, right? I'm okay. not sure if it's true or not. You know, um, Mary Jane, you know what that, yeah, yeah, that yeah, means, yeah, right? Yeah. So, rolling, rolling. On the river. Rolling on the river. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Proud Mary. Proud Mary, Mary Jane. On, Proud Mary keep on burning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Rolling, rolling. That's about the name, man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have to say But I... even, even John Fogarty, he denies yeah. that. Oh, does he? But I believed it. You know, look, listen to the lyrics, yeah? Well, that's like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. They yeah, deny that yeah, as well. Yeah. <laughs> And then they get, get braver, you know, with, uh, who's that? Uh, sing it right out, cocaine. Um, uh, what is JJ Kale? No, no. John no, Kale? No, no, no. Jeez, I couldn't think of the name. This one. Oh man. Shoot. The, the song Cocaine? Yes, you don't like. You don't yeah, like. yeah, yeah. Uh, man, what is his name? I think it's JJ Kale. No. John, like, no. Uh, Eric Clapton. Ah, okay. Eric yeah, Clapton. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> They get braver as the years go by. So when you. Like that, that must have been for you something arriving in the States, like, wow, the music, like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, yeah. That and, must have been great. I remember when I was in Subic Bay and then Guam, the song was on the, the hits radio at the time with Smoke on the Water. Okay. Yeah, that was the song. That, that song is about, um, that song's about when they had, I, I think it was the Monterey Pop Festival or something like that. And, um, Frank Zappa, like there was a fire and Frank Zappa's band lost, lost all their equipment in this fire and that supposedly that song Smoke on the Water I'm is, not it, sure. is about that. I, I didn't know. Because oh, we, really? we all went down to uh, Montreux or whatever whatever the <laughs> name is. Yeah, like that's, that's about that. So yeah. you must have been really, yeah, you must have been really stoked to be like, I mean, obviously you'd heard of rock and roll and, and like you liked Vietnamese rock and roll, like in the... And you must have known Amer some American rock and roll because I mean rock and roll was rock and roll. It was, it was yeah, the Who, Rolling Stone. Yeah, you know, we all listened to them in so, Vietnam. So was was the prospect Billy of Billy Joe's, you know, piano yeah. player. So was the prospect of of being like in America and actually being able to easily get access to this music and listen to this music and go and see the artists if you chose to? Was that an exciting prospect for you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, and then after a while, like 
in the 80s on, you know, I started not liking it anymore. I don't know why. I think that's just something that happens with age. Yeah, yeah, must be. You know, as you always, you know, listening to the old one, you know, uh, oldies but goodies, those stations I listen to all the time in San Jose. Yeah, yeah. I live in San Jose, California now, but, you know, oldies but goodies and then, uh, what else, uh, rock and roll, you know, back in the the 70s, I I love that style of music. I think as you get older, what, for me, what's ended up happening is I've found, uh, I found an appreciation in in the music that I didn't really like as a younger person, but I hear it now, and it's it, like the combination of of the familiarity of it, and also what it sort of evokes in your head from from those days. Like I don't know, like you you spend more time exploring that music that you kind of didn't really take that much notice of when you were younger uh-huh, uh-huh. and rather than like when you're younger you're lo- looking for new music uh-huh. that you really really like yeah. it's yeah I, I just find that like I I find myself looking back at music that I'm familiar with but didn't necessarily like and a lot of a lot of music for me is AM I, like the AM oh, band station, yeah. in the car mm-hmm. and and then I hear it I hear now a, a night like a nice uh, clean audio version coming through my my stereo like a like a, really a high bit rate MP3 or a CD player and you can hear it the way that they intended it to be heard uh-huh. like whereas back in those days when you're listening on an AM radio right you didn't you, you miss out on a lot yeah. there's a lot of stuff that you can't hear yeah um, yeah like for me a, a big band like that is Fleetwood Mac uh, a band that was always oh, yeah. there I always heard good band. but it wasn't until I heard them through a good amplifier uh, through good speakers that I went wow yeah I, I get yeah, it now yeah. <laughs> you know like talk about AM and FM station back then you know when I was growing up Vietnam don't have FM station yeah. we listened to the American FM station you know here yeah, in yeah. Vietnam you know so the sound was just kind of cheesy yeah, look, I mean, the same. The same. I, I, I'm not too sure when Australia embraced FM, but it was, it was probably, probably the early '80s, I would say. Mm-hmm. But yeah, look, up until then, for me, it was all, all I ever heard was AM. Like radio. even now, Vietnam only has a has a few FM stations. Okay. Know? Wow. Because not too many people listen to radio anymore. It's, it's they, a, they just listen to the traffic, yeah. the weather. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know, music, they got such much nicer equipment in their car. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, in Australia, because we're such a large country, um, a lot of radio is losing relevance that was once the, the, the big, only medium, the big right? thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I participate in community radio, which is like small scale low wattage transmission to local areas um mm-hmm. so uh, every other station in the small area that i live in it, it, it doesn't have local content yeah. it has like it, it's 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 sort of from a large super radio network that that covers most of australia you know uh-huh. you can hear in most cities of this of, of the country uh that more grassroots sort of community-based radio has sort of seemed to have grabbed gotten a little bit more of a foothold than what it has in the past oh really yeah because people are a lot of people are looking are looking for for to hear something when they listen to the radio 
20 years ago they would hear local content. Now because it's all been bought up by large, it's all been swallowed by large media cor mm. corporations, they're not hearing that local content and they have to actually look so for that. So they kind of miss that, huh? Yeah, and they're going back to, like, I mean, my station, we, we broadcast, we have a 500 watt transmitter, oh. which if you're in Sydney, will cover all of Sydney. Oh, I see. But because I'm in a regional center, it has like a, you know, it still has that like 100 kilometer sort of diameter type thing. I see. But there's not very many people within that 100 um, meter, that 100, yeah, kilometer diameter. So, yeah, I mean, like a lot of people seem to really enjoy that local content that's been lost, um, especially in the, in the regional radio. I can't, I don't know. So that's what you hear to it? The local audience? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my My show particularly... I don't just aim it at the local audience because, like, I'm I'm aware of the technology, uh -huh. and we have an internet radio stream as well. So, any online anything I give online about my radio show, I basically i i don't um, I don't mention the, the the number and the bandwidth and, and all that I because see. it's not relevant to people on right. the internet. Right. I give them but, the link where yeah. they can hear it on the on the internet. And but at least it reads worldwide. Yeah, you know? uh, it's it's amazing that we have this ability yeah, to be able yeah, to do yeah. this now. Um, yeah. It's yeah, I, I feel lucky to be able just to. Just like you know, like two thousand, just recently nineteen years, man. One time, right? My girlfriend went to my other girlfriend went to Vietnam, right? Yep, and we. Back then, it's really expensive, you know, to call. So I just cost the straight number, right? Yep. Cost me over a thousand bucks that month. Wow. Just using the phone. Now it's free. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's great. Oh, uh, it must change. be it must be very hard for them. And when I say them, I'm talking about for for governments. Like they must have had so much. It must have been so much easier for them to have control. Back in days where we couldn't really communicate easily with each right. other, like even from different parts of the world. Like I can remember going on family vacations like 150 kilometers away from Sydney and the process of making a phone call in a telephone booth to some to my grandmother in Sydney, it, like it was- Enough it to was, drive you crazy, yeah, right? like the numbers that you had to dial, you, that you had to ask the operator to put you through, yeah. it would cost you- 10 cents for 30 seconds and you're constantly feeding money into the phone. One of those switchboards for them to plug this cable in. Like, and, the, and the phones wouldn't even accept, would only accept one coin, like yeah. one sort of coin. So you had to have 20 10 cent pieces, like all the same coin to put in there. It just took so much organization. It's like, it's so much better now. It's, um, and now look, you can't even find a phone booth. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. We still have a few in Australia. Oh really? Yeah. and. They make them. They also make them wireless hotspots. So if you, um, we we used to we had one sort of telecommunications company. Oh, that's, <laughs> my messenger. That's the sound. That's, that's, that's the most unique notification. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, like we used to have one large telecommunications company that did everything in Australia. They've kind of lost the monopoly in the last twenty years, but they. They basically owned the infrastructure oh, up see. to a certain point. So, yeah, they've, they've reduced the number of their telephone booths drastically, but, yeah, each one is like a wireless hotspot now. So if you've got your home internet or your cell phone through their company, you can get a wireless hotspot mm, anywhere near the sort of 
the occasional phone booth. Just like cable out. company in the state, in California especially, Infinity, you can get the hotspot everywhere if you pay for the cable. Yeah, okay. So do they have cable TV here in Vietnam? Now they do. Now they, they do. do. Okay. Back then, no. Okay. Oh, man. Back then, I remember in 2003, I moved back here for two years. I had a uh, internet uh, shop. With a renting machine for people to get on the internet. Oh, like right? an internet cafe type thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it was back then the the the, um, the thing was ADSL, not not even DSL. Yeah, yeah. Asynchronous, you know, it's so slow. Yep. And through the phone company, but that that's what we used then to connect to the internet. And it's only it's only been since. It's only been since the beginning of the uh, beginning of April that um, in my town we've we've upgraded from ADSL. Yeah, but I think Vietnam now is much better than in the state. Yeah, as far as the connection in the state is through cable, right? Most of them here, almost everybody is fiber optic. Yeah, much faster. Yeah, yeah. You know, and here everywhere you go, you got Wi-Fi free. Yeah, yeah. Not in the state. Yeah, not okay. in California. No. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean it's. They're just in the process of laying out optic fiber um, throughout Australia, and it's it's a task. Yeah, like Vietnam is like a, a testing ground, you know, for yeah. all the high high tech latest technology. Yeah. Well, in, in Australia, they're struggling, like they're struggling to give it to everybody, like give everybody good speed because some people are so remote. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some places where you're able to get fixed wireless, which where it comes from a tower. I was living in a place at one point last year where that's what I was getting it. And it was good. It was much better than the ADSL. I was get, I was getting like lucky to get six Mbps like in my house. Oh man! I used, I remember uh, when I worked at uh, digital equipment. We used to uh, use the, uh, the modem three hundred baht Dial. modem. Oh man! It was so slow. <laughs> man, I remember when my, my girlfriend at the time upgraded from a fourteen four modem. A dial-up oh. modem to a to oh, a twenty-eight oh, eight, yeah. and it was like, "Wow, this is so fast!" <laughs> <That was> speed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now God, you couldn't do anything. I know you couldn't do we, because I work in the computer field before the internet exists. You know, back then it was Appanet um, for the military and yep. then the university. Yeah, and yeah. Digital yeah. had the, the largest uh, private uh, network in the world. You okay. Know. So that's what I used back then. Well, that's isn't that where the internet the internet started, like with the with, with, that, that with company, the military Xerox. Oh yeah, yeah, with the military. Yeah, the, but then internet is designed the Ethernet. The protocol is designed by Xerox Digital Equipment Corporation, which I worked for. Yep. IBM and a few others companies, like seven companies, I believe. Wow. Yeah, I worked on the the spec of the Ethernet. Yeah. As, how did you get into that? Oh, I started working uh, for digital back in 1978, okay. uh, October 1978, and I started out as just a tester, you know, running diagnostic, yep. testing the board, and then I moved up within the company. Okay. It's, it's, <laughs> for it's, 12 years, I worked for I was, I was talking to a, um, a Kenyan-American the other day, and he was a young guy, he was late 20s, and it it totally it totally skipped him that like oh, I'm nearly fifty. It's like yeah, man. Like I was kind of. He's like you know I don't understand how why are you into this. You're old. It's like mate, I'm the first generation. Like you know one one week 
me and me and my friends are all out riding our bikes around the neighborhood and playing in the in the bush and playing at the park <laughs> and doing this and doing that and then you know one christmas came around and then all of a sudden half our time we're spending inside playing on one of our friends atari like the original oh, yeah. atari machine nintendo like, and just <laughs> For my generation, well, for me and, and my friends, as each one of those things has come out, we're just like, oh, yeah, the, new, the latest thing. It's, yeah. it's, and now you've got kids now that have sort of grown up. Yeah. Grown up with their yeah, devices. I remember, you know, Pac-Man. Oh, that was my favorite game, right? Pac-Man. Yeah, when it first came out. So when I work at uh, Digital, I, I get access to a workstation, you know, nice graphic and all. Okay. I recreate the same game. <laughs> oh, okay. I wrote it. Wow. <laughs> Now I remember my nice. da- my dad. Uh, it was either my dad came back from a visit to his family in the UK, or my or his mum came out and bought us a a console game that plugged into our television, and it was it was Pong. It was like where where the two sticks go up and down the side. Yeah, and like, a ballet machine, ballet machine. That's what it's called, Bally. B A L L Y. Ball. Okay. I think that that's the first one before the Atari come out. Yeah. Right. You know? Okay. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine used to write game for that machine. I was then like, I think four bit machine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> four bit computer. Eh? <laughs> it's like that sort of that sort of computing power is just almost there is nothing that could be done with that little amount of computing right. power now. It's but then hey. They land on the moon with an 8-bit machine, uh, yeah. digital PDP-8, you know. I yeah. used to fix those machines. <laughs> wow. Uh, no, it's... it's I've, time just flies. The, yeah, time flies. And technology is it's amazing. I, I wish... Like, even, even doing this and doing these podcasts, I wish that I was... I wish that I was 25 now and I was doing these because, like, by the time I... By the time I would turn the age that I am now, I imagine so, how much content I would have created yeah, yeah, like over yeah, those years. Yeah, it's like yeah. that's the number one thing that I kind of don't like about getting old. It's like what yeah, I, yeah. like the future is so exciting. With it's, this never yeah. <laughs> it's never too late. <laughs> so we're sitting in Chris's apartment at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I I got the bus here and. Um, this is this really nice apartment here. I came to pick you up. Yeah, yeah. on a motorcycle. He came to pick me up on the motorcycle. I'm finally getting used to to feeling comfortable in the back of the motorcycle. But At least with the backrest. Yeah, but Chris is the first. Chris is the first bike I've ridden here that's um yeah got a backrest, so I actually don't need to white hold on until my knuckles are white, worrying that I'm going to slip off the back of the bike. But it, it, there's a. There's a there's a massive motorcycle culture culture here. Yes, like yes. Ev- everybody loves yeah. their bikes, and uh, it's and you know there's not very there's not to, very many bikes over two fifty cc. You know, back in uh, two thousand three when I came back here the uh, first time, you know, uh, people only allowed to get one motorcycle under their name. Only can register one because there's so many. You cannot even own two one two bicycle two motorcycle. You know, under it, your name. Still now? No, no, now oh, you okay. can. Yeah, okay. yeah, now it's better. But back then, you can only one each. Look, t- to me, it makes... Uh, Saigon, I didn't think, would be able to function if everybody was driving cars. Right, they were <laughs> talking about, you know, preventing motorcycle from coming to Saigon. 
it not, it's never going to work. Prevent cars right, coming in, right, like only right. allow motorcycles into yeah, Saigon. Like that would be better. the yeah. that would be the answer. Yeah. I mean, we I, I don't understand why in Australia we don't have grab bikes. Like it, huh. it would make so much sense. Like we have got so many taxi cabs, so many Ubers. There's a new uh, there's a new one. Oh, I can't remember what it's called, but like we've got all these ride sharing services, but none of them are motorcycle orientated. Mm. It would just make sense. It makes sense to me. Like, it, what? The, Probably because you know, winter time. What you gonna do? You can't ride a bike. Ah, uh, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't like, get that cold. <laughs> like in Maine, right? I own a motorcycle, right? Yep. Unless it's snowing out, I always let ride my motorcycle. Okay. Right? Just with leather jacket. Yep. Cover up, and then motorcycle is my way of you know riding. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, my mother was always you're not having a motorcycle. Well, it's dangerous in the states because you know you're going too fast. Yeah, seventy five miles an hour. That's hundred twenty kilometers. Yeah, that's, that's fast. fast man. Yeah. So you gotta have a heavy bike. Yeah, you know the one like I'm riding right now. You would be. Flying off the highway. Yeah, right. Oh yeah, God, your bike to enough. me seems like a heavy bike. It's only 130 kilometer, uh, kilogram. Okay. Well, it's not much, you know, yeah. like uh, 65 pounds. So how many cc's? Is uh, 150. It? Oh, so really? it's a small one. Yeah. God. Yeah. I used to have a 500, and that is not enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> Back in Maine, you know. But I mean, like here, having a 500 cc, like. You it's just a waste of yeah, yeah. like it's like driving a Ferrari down a dirt road. Yeah, like what yeah, do you like? Yeah. It's gonna. That's, that's why when I see people on the highway, I just laugh. Yeah, <laughs> <For> <laughs> stupid. <laughs> I have seen some fairly nice customized Honda Hondas. Like what do they call them? Like um, uh, like flat trackers. I think they call them where they're kind of like a, racer, racer. Yeah, they kind of yeah. look like the sort of. Bikes they used to ride around in a circuit uh -huh. on a dirt track sort of I, thing. I'm more, I like a cruiser type. Like a cruiser, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. cruiser type. Is, you know, oh, look, mate, that backrest yeah. was just, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't get oh, that on I a flat track. I on a long trip with that one. Yeah, okay. Nice. I, uh, look, I even just riding around for the day on the scooter on Vung Tau, after about five hours, like, my like, my ass was so sore. Oh, yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, Tui and I one time took a trip from here to Yantan, non-stop. Yeah. We just stopped for some coffee and that's it. And that was like, jeez, uh, three, three hundred kilometers more than that. Yeah. And no, then okay. the next day, we went up to Dala, go on over the pass. You know, that was a nice trip. Man. Uh, look, I was, when I was riding around Vung Tau, I, I don't think we'd established that we weren't going to go on our ride at that point. I was just... No, I think we had just established that we weren't going to go on on the tour because your friend was sick, and I was kind of like, oh, oh thank God! Like my 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 ass was, was so sore. sore. It was like, how am I going to do three hundred kilometers? Like, <laughs> well, you know, usually we go on a trip like that, right? And whenever someone decides to stop for coffee or you know take a leak, then you know we just stop yeah, and okay. get off the bike for like fifteen minutes and. Yeah. Talk and you know some of them smoke cigarettes. Oh, I quit cigarettes three years ago. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. I smoked when I was fifteen. Yeah? That's yeah. more than fifty years. So Man, I, I had my first cigarette when I was very young. I was probably eleven or twelve years <laughs> old. I didn't smoke regularly until I was about eighteen or nineteen. Oh. But stopping smoking cigarettes 
uh, I did that in 2013 and I'm that's it good, was the best it? thing that I've done. Yeah, it's like, three years ago. So that so I'm glad I was able to. I tried many times, six, okay. seven times. Finally, this time worked. <laughs> I, I never ever tried because I didn't want to fail. And then um, after a trip to the States and seeing everybody using these e-cigarettes, it's like, wow, okay, oh, wow, I can get them in Australia. Okay, I'll get one. And I tried it and it helped and I haven't, yeah, I haven't gone back. I used to hate but, but lighting I, I a cigarette heard. and it being in the back of my head. This is so bad for me. Do some damage too, you know? Yeah, look, I mean, yeah, perhaps it can, but all I know is that I physically feel better uh-huh. than what I did when You're I started. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I surf in Australia and um, it's definitely I definitely don't get as out of breath mm-hmm. paddling my surfboard around. Um, if I fall off and I get held underwater, I it, I don't feel it doesn't feel as likely that I'm going to drown. <laughs> I I do run out of breath easy now because that I, I don't exercise that much. Yeah. But I I used to uh, take martial arts for twenty years. Wow. So oh yeah, I owned a school in the main man for four years. What sort yeah. of martial arts? A taekwondo. Taekwondo. Second degree man. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I served back in uh, two thousand. So you almost stopped. twenty years. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. what made you stop? Oh, because, you know, after a while, just like everything, after a while, you get kind of tired. Yeah, okay. No, because uh, I used to go to tournaments every weekend. Oh, wow. All around New England, you know, different states, even go uh, across the border to Canada to compete. Wow. And every weekend. Then once I got so many trophies that I just kind of, oh, man, they don't mean nothing to me anymore. You know, so I, I just stopped. So is there a Vietnamese martial art? Oh yeah, yeah, what? Bovinam. That's the name, Bovinam. It's, okay. it's come from bar, meaning martial art, Vietnam. So they just added the three words, and Bovinam. What, what martial art would you compare it? What, like, is it Basically, like? I would say Bovinam is a, a combination of a few other martial arts, you know, okay. that they, they just kind of, almost like Bruce you know, pick up the, the best moves from, you know, different uh, yeah, systems okay. and put together. Like, uh, well, I mean, that's fairly popular these days with like the MMA and the UFC, oh, yeah, this sort yeah. of combination yeah, of yeah, these yeah. fighting skills. But, but to me, martial art, you know, it really depends on how you train. Yeah, okay. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't matter what system, you know, good or bad. Yep. That's how you train, that's count. Yeah, yeah. So like MMA, you know, you see how they train. That's how, you know, if you go against any traditional martial art, Man, they beat the hell out of them. The MMA guys? Yes, yeah. they will. Yeah. Because how they train, you're so rough and yeah. tough. Oh, yeah, okay. You know, traditional martial art now is more like a sports type, you know, yeah. for exercising, basically. Well, it isn't like most of the sort of traditional martial arts, the whole kind of mindset is not fighting. Self-discipline. <laughs> yeah, not yeah. hurting somebody, yeah. only doing the absolute minimum that you have to do to... Right. Achieve right, what you want to right, achieve. It's right. not about but then, power. But then and... when you have to, you don't have the, the power, the strength to do it. Yeah. See, that's the thing. Because you train, you are what you train, how you train. You know. So to me, like when I get involved in that and my kids get involved, most is I want them to have the self-discipline. Yep. You know, uh, to have the determination that, hey, I can do it. That, yeah. That's kind of mindset I want them to do. Not really, you know, Protecting self-defense. Nowadays, in the state, you know, everyone has gun. 
Yeah. What you do with your bare hands, you know, useless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's more like that for that reason. But, you know, like it could be argued that if, if those people who had guns did martial arts, more people would have self-discipline and less people would use their guns. Yeah, but, but I find out for myself, what it made me after 20 years training is the confidence, self-confidence yeah. to get out of any situation okay. so I don't get in trouble. Yeah. That that that's the most I get out of it, you know. Not not winning the fight, you know. But how how you you kind of you know know the situation and get out of it without getting into trouble. Do do you feel as you do you feel um as you're getting older? Do you uh, like m one of my fears of getting older is is becoming vulnerable and becoming perceived as an easy an easier target. Exactly. Not because I, I, I credit that to my training. Okay. Even now, I walk on the street, I don't, I don't feel afraid or nothing. You know? so, look, same, like I'm walking down, I'm walking around like District 1, I've got my wallet in one pocket, I've got my phone in my other back pocket. Like people, are, ladies are grabbing me and saying, take your phone out and put it in your front pocket. Mm -hmm. I really don't feel like an easy target. I really don't feel like someone would try and pick my pocket because I don't look like somebody who they could easily do it to mm -hmm. I, I don't know maybe 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 that's just my self-perception and i'm wrong yeah. the other night i saw a, a lady probably mid-50s nearly get her and it was a vietnamese lady as well nearly got her bag pinched by a, guy, a couple of guys riding past on a bike yeah she got it and they sped off but i don't know but i, just, I, I think that you look confident and you nobody tried to bother you you know pretty much you know, if you kind of, you know, no, hey, I can handle Well, myself. I mean, in my head, it's like, if anybody tries to fucking take my phone, I'll grab them by the throat. Yeah, but not <laughs> if they have a knife or yeah. a gun, you know. But but just how you act is like kind of like, oh, I don't want to mess around with this guy. Yeah. That's, that's, what, that's how their, their mindset is. Yeah, know? okay. Yeah, but well. With, with the druggie, you know, shit. They would do anything to get your money. Yeah, yeah. You know. Look, I mean, they're... When they, they have to have a fit, that's it. Yeah. They're going to do anything. Yeah, they yeah. They kill you. They don't really care. Yeah, look, I mean, I was speaking to a I was speaking to an English guy the other day who did not look like he'd eaten or slept for probably a week. <laughs> and uh, like he was saying that here in Vietnam, Vietnam um, the people don't don't understand that the, the, the ice is actually a really bad drug. <laughs> Like they, right, like people right, people right, understand right. that yeah, heroin it's it's a pretty heavy drug, but they don't. Okay, this is Stu.